Hey world, I'm Lowell McWhite and this is Readings and Ridiculosities. Today I'm going to read a section of my work in progress, a novel titled Normal School. Now, Normal School is sort of a sequel to my earlier novel, Professed, though you don't have to have read Professed in order to understand Normal School. Still, you might want to read it, so, you know, if you want to, get over to Amazon and order a copy. I'll be happy. Uh, I'm approaching Normal School a little bit differently than I've approached my other books. I'm serializing it online over the course of the next year or so, and then I'll publish it as a uh, complete and totally wonderful book. Each week I'll be posting an episode of Normal School, and you can read the postings at www.normalschoolnovel.com. Uh, today I'm going to read episode 1, which comprises chapters 1, 2, and 3. I write books with short chapters. So, here is episode 1. Chapter 1. So one grim Monday I was sitting there staring vaguely into a dark corner of my office at work, staring not at the coat rack, but beyond it into a void of deeper, gloomier shadows, staring and trying to come up with enough energy to do something academic. To grade a paper, prep a class, write an email, anything. But sadly my brain wouldn't respond, the energy wouldn't come, and out of the corner of my eye I spotted Sally Baldwin, the English department's administrative assistant, stepped busily by the half-open door, tight black jeans and bright red sweater. That might mean trouble. Sally might mean trouble. I spun my chair around to face the computer and I tried to remember if I had any paperwork to do. Sally only usually came stomping down to the offices if some poor professor missed the filing deadline on something. Sally believed in direct forceful contact, not email, not phones. I heard Sally's big ring of keys jangle, heard her knock at the office next door. The office of Devin Shepard, my former girlfriend who taught fiction in the creative writing program, heard the keys jangle some more when she opened Devin's door. I heard her call out to someone, Nope, she's not here. Tom? I jolted around and spun the chair. The department chair, T. Wheeler, was standing in the doorway, leaning around the half-open door, looking flatly at me with her dull, baggy eyes. Tom? T. asked. Have you seen Devin today? Uh, no, I said. I felt suddenly guilty. Devin? I'd sort of been thinking about Devin indirectly. I mean, mostly I'd been thinking about me, but I hadn't seen her. Where was Devin? I said, I don't think so. I haven't seen her around. T said, Devin didn't show up to teach her morning classes. She didn't call in or anything. Wow, I said. I thought, something's wrong. I said, no, I haven't seen her today. I guess I saw her Friday. Out in the hall, Sally, the admin assistant, said, I'm trying her phone again. No answer, just voicemail. I sat back in my chair. I waited for something bad to happen. Something bad was happening, and I could tell that T was going to want me to do something about it. I thought, I'm going to have to go find out what's up with Devin. After a moment, T ducked her head back into my office. She asked, Tom, are you busy right now? Chapter 2 Devin Shepard once told me that the hardest thing about teaching young students to write fiction was getting them to conceptualize the world or their stories, to think through what they were writing about. 
An example, she said students always like writing about characters who are grieving or depressed without thinking through how having a depressed, grieving character might impact the overall story. What do depressed people do? Not a whole lot, right? They watch TV, they stare vaguely in the dark corners, and they can be limited in engaging in the conflict that drives most good stories. Devin said there was a way to get around that problem, to have a secondary or tertiary character drag the depressed protagonist out of their house and get them engaged in doing something. So, that day I was sort of depressed. Why? Well, I was living in Weirton, Kansas and teaching at Southeast Kansas State University. Two things right there big enough to depress almost anyone with a heart or a soul. But on that day, at that moment, I was sort of depressed because I was thinking about leaving Southeast Kansas, about getting another job at a different university. In fact, a few minutes before T stuck her head into my office, I'd hit the send button on a job application at Midwestern State down in Wichita Falls. I'd applied for a job and I immediately had a case of post-application remorse. I thought, I suddenly worried, what if I got the job? Because if I got the job, I'd have to leave Weirton and, and Southeast Kansas, places I truly hated, but I'd also have to leave Devon Shepard. What would I say to Devon? So, look at everything that happened after that day. Look at the murders, the suicides, the ruined careers, the weird unexpected opportunities. Look at it all this way. One day I was staring off into a corner, bummed, worried about what I might say to Devon. Then T stuck her head into my office and told me that Devon was missing. After that, things changed. He asked, Tom, are you busy right now? Yeah, I was busy right then. I was busy being depressed. I was busy staring into a corner. I said, well, I have a class at 210. My class. An a section of introduction to literature. We were covering a streetcar named Desire coming up on the end, and I was planning to go over the text, but also show the ending to the classic Marlon Brando film version, which has a different ending than the actual play. I was going to focus on the shot where Blanche collapses and the camera spins around and Blanche is upside down. She's destroyed. Her life is upside down. And then I was going to show a similar scene from a more or less recent Batman movie, The Dark Knight, where the Joker is suspended upside down, and then the camera suddenly spins around so that the Joker is right side up and the audience is upside down. Gotham, society, human existence is upside down. I used those clips every semester and they become one of my favorite days of teaching because when you were a member of the faculty at Southeast Kansas State University, your life was fucking topsy-turvy, out of killer, upside down, lopsided, backwards, and inside out all at once. You were in the Joker's world. Basically, you were fucked. T said, we'll be back in time for your class. Chapter 3 I sat there for a moment, annoyed. I already had a bunch of things to do that I didn't want to do. I didn't need an extra task to not want to do. But Devin not coming to work, that actually might be something serious, might actually be a problem. On Friday, Devin hadn't been doing too well. She'd been upset, more upset than usual even, upset about a lot of things. So I grabbed my phone and my keys and a light jacket from the coat rack and I followed T out into the hall. Sally was striding back down to the departmental office. She called over her shoulder, I'll keep trying. T said, I have a bad feeling about this. Yeah, I said, well, I don't know, it could be anything. I guessed. I suddenly worried, guess. 
I mean, maybe Devin just decided to take the day off. Maybe she was just lounging around drunk watching Netflix. I mean, I hope she was. I followed T into the elevator. The door closed. T asked, have you seen Devin around very much? I thought, well, yeah, just about every day, every work day. Her office is next door to mine, you idiot. I've seen her every fucking day except today, I guess. I said, yeah, I've seen her around. He asked, did she look, I don't know, tired? Hey, everybody's tired, I said. I'm tired. It's the tired time of semester, you know. He said, yeah. The elevator door opened. I followed T out of the building and across the parking lot to T's car. She clicked the doors open and we got in. I wondered if I should lower the window. Because T was one of those people who used cherry-scented air fresheners in their cars, but I decided not to. I'd sit and inhale the cherry. T said, I appreciate you doing this, Tom. I really don't want to go out there by myself. Yeah, no problem, I said. I thought, damn, I have classes to prep. I have papers to grade. I have corners to stare into. But there might be something wrong with Devon. I wondered, what the fuck is she doing? I have a bad feeling about this, T said. She started the car and pulled out of the parking lot. Really bad feeling. Now, Weirton, Kansas was a gloomy town in all, all year, in any weather. It wasn't the Kansas most people imagined, the agricultural Kansas of rippling wheat fields or nodding sunflower seals or stinky cattle feedlots. Weirton was different. On the edge of the plains on one side, the west, and almost on the edge of the Ozarks on the other side, the east. It was southeast Kansas, three miles from the Missouri border, 12 miles from the Oklahoma border, isolated and poor. There were fields and farms around, but it was mostly an ex-mining area. Mines for lead and tin and coal, and the whole area was pitted with water-filled strip mines and riddled with drowned and lost and forgotten deep mines that sometimes collapsed, sucking down whatever was unlucky enough to be above, cattle or cars or even whole houses. In Weirton itself, no place was very far from any other place. The campus was on the south side of town, but close to everything, and T drove north between melancholy, twisted, bare-branched oaks and maples, fallen leaves skittering across the cracked, chuck-hole-pitted pavement, past rotting old ramshackle houses that had been turned into duplexes, triplexes, fourplexes for student housing. A gloomy town in any season, it was gloomiest in the fall. I always thought the town looked like a good setting for a horror movie. T said, it's not like Devin to not call in. Yeah, I said, honestly. I tried to think of Devin, about why she might not come to work, why she wouldn't even call in. Because Devin was actually pretty reliable, maybe the most reliable person in the world. I mean, the most reliable I knew, at least. There really was no telling what was going on, except it might not be good. I said, maybe she's sick? Maybe she's got a new boyfriend? T glanced over at me, but didn't say anything. The SUV passed an abandoned warehouse once belonging to a dog food factory that had relocated to the north side of town. The old building crumpled and collapsing, tin roof rusted, but still a painting of a faded, smiling, cheerful pup on the last standing wall. Just beyond the old warehouse was a billboard, a simple black field with giant yellow lettering reading, Pray to me and I will heal this land! Those billboards were all over southeastern Kansas and western Missouri. There was one right by my house, put up by some crazy church, and I always felt sorry for the believers who would shut their eyes and pray and pray and pray and pray and pray, and then open their eyes and find themselves still in unhealed, grimy, ruined weirdin'. 
I said, maybe Devin quit. He didn't even look at me. Don't say that, she said. Yeah, I thought, maybe Devin came to her senses and quit this fucking place. She said she'd had it. She said she was fed up. She said that a lot of times. Too many times. Shit, she said it the last time I talked to her on Friday. She stood in front of my desk, sliding my gray plastic nameplate back and forth. You know, I've come to the point where I really just hate this fucking place, Devin had said. I mean, I can't take the shit anymore, Tom. I've just, I've just had it. Yeah, I said. I was kind of bored. We'd had the discussion before. And I said, yeah, I know. I hate it, too. But you don't know the things I know, Devin said. You haven't experienced the things I've experienced. You don't hate it the way I hate it. Maybe, I said. And I tried to make a joke. But I've hated it longer than you've hated it. Oh, fuck you, Devin said, exasperated and mad. Really, Holt, you're blind and you're deaf. You really are. You don't know a fucking thing about anything that's going on around here, you know? And then she went back next door to her own office and shut her office door. And that was the last time I saw Devin Shepard alive. And it continues from there. Uh, it's kind of a dark story. It's an academic noir. Uh, filled, as all my writings are, with uh, ridiculosities and with extremely bad behaviors. You can read the latest episodes at www.normalschoolnovel.com And you can always find me on my website, uh, www.lowellmcwhite.com or on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram under my officially authorized and constituted name, Lowell McWhite. So, keep reading. Thank you!